Well, again, good morning. A great privilege to join with you today. If we turn in our Bibles to Luke's Gospel, I remember when I first started to attend church, we'll be looking at Luke 4, uh, and the minister said, almost in an offhanded way, that Luke is the great historian of the New Testament. Well, that perked up my ears because that was my subject. I was studying history, not biblical history, but the history of Scotland, and uh, that's what brought me to this country. So I've always associated Luke and history, and I find a great affection for Luke and for the second volume that he wrote, the book of Acts. And you might find, uh, if you are a, a student of history or one who loves to read history, that Luke has gathered together these materials very clearly and very deliberately to teach us what Jesus said and to teach us what Jesus did and to point us so clearly to him. And as we look at chapter 4 as a whole, before we get to the passage I'm going to focus on, can I just make an observation about the ministry of Jesus? Because as you read through Luke chapter 4, we begin with temptation. There is a time which I would describe as a time of triumph, where everyone speaks well of Jesus. But then the chapter ends with trouble, conflict, opposition, and then Jesus ministering to people with all different kinds of troubles and difficulties in their lives. So if you are a follower of Jesus... You should not be surprised if your own life is characterized by temptation. If there are times, yes, of triumph, but maybe more so times of trouble and times of opposition and times of difficulty. Because when Jesus commands us to follow him, that means that the path that he walked is the path that we walk. The experiences that he had will inevitably be part of our own experience. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and the ugly. But as I was saying to the children, following Jesus means that there is an assured destination, that we are not wandering aimlessly through this world, but rather we are on a journey, a destination that will end in heaven. But in the time allotted to us here, as we read the life account of Jesus, we should recognize that this becomes our own experience in our journey, our pilgrimage. So join with me. Let's read uh, from Luke chapter 4, and we'll pick up the narrative at verse 14. Jesus has just completed this time of temptation. And in verse 14, this is page 1031, if you have one of the church Bibles, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll 
gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Good news to the poor. You see, Jesus had a great ability of summarizing what it was that he was about, what he had come to do and what he had come to preach and what he had come to accomplish. Likewise, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had much to teach and much to say, but he could summarize his ministry in just a few words. We preach Christ and him crucified. Now, the Bible contains much knowledge and much information, but in, a, in, in essence, really, the central truths of the Bible are few, but they are absolutely critical. And with you this morning, I'd like to explore this brief sermon that Jesus gave. Really, it was little more than a reading from the Old Testament and an application of that Old Testament truth to himself. But the profound implications for us today will transform our hearts, will transform our minds, and will transform our lives. It will also transform how we engage with the world that lies outside of this building. So first, notice the messenger. He's in his hometown. He's surrounded by people that know him. They know his family. They know his parents. They know his upbringing. But we know him not just as Jesus of Nazareth, which is a classic way of referring to someone in the ancient world. And if you look at the history of the early church, many of the early church fathers were known by a name and a place. Augustine of Hippo, Tertullian of Carthage, Athanasius of Alexandria, a name and a place, Jesus of Nazareth. But this is no ordinary person, even if Nazareth Nazareth was quite an ordinary or less than ordinary place. Because the speaker here is none other than God's only begotten Son, none other than the Savior of the world, none other than God in the flesh. So as we encounter his words, we can never... uh, separate his words from himself. Because only by understanding who it is that is speaking can we begin to grasp how it is possible that what he says can be put into practice. Because in the ministry of Jesus, in the, the account that we have in Luke or in Matthew or Mark or John for that, for that matter, what we find is time and again Jesus encounters the impossible. He encounters the impossible situation. He encounters the impossible problem. He encounters the impossible question. And time and time again, the impossible becomes possible. The insoluble is solved. The unfixable is fixed. The the irreparable is restored and renewed. The, The separated is reunited. Because Jesus Christ has all power and all authority that what he says is always accompanied by the power to achieve it and to accomplish it. Now, I don't know if you're a Radio 4 listener, but 
if you're of a certain age, you might be a Radio 4 listener. And if you like uh, evening news, if you're driving home at 5 o'clock or whatever, you'll often listen to the PM program, one of my favorite of the Radio 4, uh, the diary of the, on the Radio 4. And, and a couple weeks ago, Eddie Mayer was playing segments of famous speeches. It began with a section of, one of Martin Luther King's final speech, the mountaintop speech. I have been to the mountaintop. It was spoken the day before, the night before he was assassinated. And each of these speeches was motivational. Each of these speeches was inspirational. Each of these speeches made you feel better about yourself or better about life or hopeful about the future. And that's what a good speech can do. A good speech can motivate you. A good speech can enthuse you. A good speech can give you thoughts or ideas that can fire you up. Now, Jesus was the greatest of all speakers, but he's not just a motivational speaker. He's not just giving an inspirational talk, but he accompanies his words with power and with authority. What he says, he does. What he promises, he fulfills because of who he is. And that's the critical understanding of the New Testament, the Bible, and that's why Luke gathered all this material together. He wanted us to know what Jesus said. He wanted us to know what Jesus did. He wanted us to know the people that Jesus encountered. He wanted us to know the miracles that Jesus performed. He wanted us to know the life that Jesus lived, a life of perfection. He wanted us to know the death that Jesus died. And he wanted us to know the resurrection that Jesus experienced, that life itself was restored, that death itself was conquered. So the messenger here is one who speaks with authority. Not because authority is given to him. He had grown up in this nowhere place called Nazareth. I'm from New Jersey. Most Americans will make fun of people from New Jersey. They will look down upon ours. You know, you know in every country and culture, you'll have places that people look down on. New Jersey is one of those places that people look down on. That's fine. If you're from New Jersey, you don't really need other people's uh, affirmation. Nazareth was one of those kind of places that people look down on. And in a sense, Jesus was quite ordinary. There was nothing that would attract you to him physically. If you read Isaiah 55, that gives you an insight that it wasn't a physical presence or a physical appearance. It wasn't his upbringing. It wasn't his background because his upbringing and his background were quite ordinary. In fact, we know very little about those first 30 years of his ministry, of his life. And then he comes and he begins to preach. So we now have this messenger, Jesus, with all authority, this messenger called Jesus who has come from God, who has come to us, and he now comes to speak. So what is his message? What does the messenger have to tell us? Well, the best thing that he does, he, he says that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to him, and he unrolls that scroll written seven centuries earlier, and in that scroll, he finds himself in Isaiah chapter 61. This has often been described as the fifth of the servant songs. It's not typically a servant song, but it's one of those high points in the book of Isaiah, which points forward 
to one who would come, which points ahead to one who is promised and one who will fulfill the great purpose of God, whereby all nations and all peoples will be gathered to God, where there's good news not for the few but for the many, not for the one nation but for all nations and for all peoples. So Jesus reads from Isaiah chapter 61, and here is his message. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Good news. Gospel. Jesus is able to sum up his message and say that his is a message of good news. His is a message of hope. His is a message of freedom and release. The most famous verse of the Bible, John 3 and 16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But if you didn't grasp the good news of John 3.16, John 3.17 continues, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now let me ask the Christians here for a moment this morning. When you have the opportunity of sharing your faith, Are you sounding a note of good news? Are you sounding a note of hope? Are you sounding a note of peace or of joy or of celebration? Because Jesus has come to bring good news to those who do not have good news. To bring hope to those who are in despair. To bring light to those who are in darkness. He has not come to condemn. He has not come... To, to, to condemn the world, but to save the world. And how often do we find ourselves sounding not the note of hope and, and joy and peace, but how often do we find ourselves as representatives of Jesus sounding a much different note? Not a note of joy, but a note of sorrow. Not a note of hope, but we also, we can sound that note of despair. And we can characterize a message of good news But sometimes we simply package that message as if it were bad news. Jesus has a message of gospel, good news. And notice the way in which he doesn't just say good news. He also uses this phrase, he has come to proclaim freedom, recovery of sight, and release. Over the last 16 years, I have been a prison chaplain. Now, the only difference between preaching in a prison and preaching in a place like Dundee is that if you don't like what I'm saying, you can go. That door is unlocked. Sunday morning at Salkton Prison, the door isn't unlocked. It's a captive audience. If you're there, you're staying there. It's the same message. It's the same gospel. And I remember one of our tasks as chaplains is if you meet with new admissions, particularly people who are new to the prison for the first time, Just by the way, you can tell a person's number. You know, the numbers are all sequential. So if somebody has a very high number, you know, okay, this person is is new to the jail. And I remember meeting this guy. couldn't have been more than 17 years old. And I was explaining to him, I said, look, my name is Bob. I'm a chaplain here. Um, Is there anything I can do to help you? And he's quite a small guy. And he just looked up to me and he said, 
can you take me home? That's what he wanted. He wanted to be home. That's the one thing I can't do. I I can't take him from there out of the jail. But to my mind, that captures this picture of release. Someone who is where they don't want to be is now, the doors are now opened and they're told you can go. You you no longer have to stay here. You can go to that place that you want to be. You can go to that place where you long to be, a place where you're welcomed, a place that's called home. And that's the message that Jesus has come to declare. That there is good news. That there is good news for this world. This is not good news for a world that doesn't exist. It's not a good, good news for, for a situation that isn't real. But this is a message for here and for now. This is a message for you and for me. Here we are this morning. We're singing the songs. We've added our amens to the prayers. We've joined together in the fellowship. But unless we grasp who it is that is speaking here in Nazareth, unless we grasp what it is that he's saying, then we can do all of these things but miss the central point. In the introduction, uh, John mentioned that I'm familiar here. Owen said that I've been here over the years, and I've loved to be here in Dundee. It's a great privilege to be able to preach here. My main job when I'm not in the prison is in ETS, so I teach. At least one of the students is here this morning. A couple of the students are here this morning. Now, when you test at, when you set an exam or you set an essay, you have an idea of what you're looking for. And people will write their essays or write their exams, and sometimes you get, you get a lot of good information, you get a lot of good stuff, but sometimes you just feel that the person has missed the main point. They've said a lot of good stuff. They've put a lot of information. They've put a lot of time or a lot of effort, but the main point has been missed. And sometimes we can miss the main point. We can miss the main point of why we're here this morning. We can miss the main point of why we're here on earth. We can miss the main point of who Jesus is, and we can miss the main point of why he has come. In 1863, I said I was a history person. The President of the United States issued what became known as the Emancipation Proclamation. 1st of January, 1863, Abraham Lincoln. Just a power, just a short one. He said, by virtue of the power and for the purpose aforesaid, I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are and henceforth shall be free and that the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authorities thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons. So the president is saying anyone held in these places as a slave from this point forward and forever will be free. And he, accomplished, he accompanies that proclamation with the power and with the authority to carry it out. He says, I'm the President of the United States, and the Army and the Navy will put this proclamation into effect. Jesus Christ is the King of all kings. 
Jesus is the Lord of all lords. He has all power. He has all authority. So when he says that good news is to be preached and freedom is to be proclaimed, recovery of sight is to be received, and the year of the Lord's favor is to be announced, that's exactly what his ministry has come to do. And it's as if he is foreshadowing the next three years. He's telling you, this is why I'm here, this is what I have come to do, and this is what I will achieve for you. So it's a message of gospel, a message of freedom, a message of sight, a message of release, and a message of favor. But notice the audience. Who is he proclaiming this message to? He says he has something to say to the poor. He has something to say to the prisoner. He has something to say to the blind. And he has something to say to the oppressed. He's describing people who have nothing. He's describing people who only have problems, who don't have solutions, who only have difficulties, who do not have anything that we might say is valuable. What does that say about us as an audience? He looks upon us as blind people who need to see. He looks upon us as poor people who need good news. He looks upon us as prisoners that need to be released. And he looks upon us as those who are oppressed that need to be released from that oppression. This is our human condition. This is our situation apart from Jesus. And let's spare a thought for those today who are not part of this group. Let's spare a thought for those today in Dundee or in Edinburgh or wherever who do not know and who have not heard because they are in the same desperate situation. They're poor and they're imprisoned and they're blind and they're oppressed. And there is only one way out. There is only one way up. There is only one source of light or one source of hope, and that is found in Jesus Christ. So this morning, Jesus is speaking to you. He's speaking to a gathered group who gather as it is their custom on the Sabbath or now the Lord's Day. The scroll, the Bible is being read. How do you respond do you respond with amen? Do you respond with yes? Do you respond with thank you? Because what Jesus has done, he has done for you. He hasn't done for people like you or for others, but he has come to bring good news to you and to me. So it's possible, and we see this very clearly, it's possible to be in an assembly where Jesus is present. It's possible to be in an assembly where the words of Jesus are spoken and where the word of God is read. It's possible to be in such an assembly and to have nothing whatsoever to do with Jesus, to find yourself at odds with Jesus, to find yourself opposed to Jesus. But the opposite is also true. It's very possible, and I'm sure many of us can add our amens to that this morning, that we are gathered together because we have recognized who he is. We are gathered together because we have realized what he has done. We gather our voices in praise to say thank you. We gather our prayers together and say amen because we are filled with joy and filled with gratitude. We recognize that we still have needs. We still have weakness. We still sin. And we still need forgiveness. But this morning, if you're not yet 
persuaded. If you haven't yet responded, Jesus has a message of help, and Jesus has a message of hope, and Jesus has a message of comfort for you and for me. So the message given by the messenger to the audience, and the response is quite remarkable. The initial favorable hum is dispelled when Jesus applies the message and says, you know what? It's not just for you. It's not just for this people. It's not just for this group. But this message of good news, freedom, sight, and release is for them, whoever they are. So this is not a message that we can hoard. It's not a message that we can hold to ourselves. But by definition, it's a message that's meant to be shared. Shared with the outsider. Shared with the other. Shared with the foreigner. Shared with the visitor. Shared with the stranger. And that's when problems begin. Because the people were not willing to share the good news. They were not willing to see others' eyes opened. Nor were they willing to see other prisoners released. They were quite happy for others to remain in a situation of oppression. And the end of the day, many of them said to Jesus, no. They took him to the brow of a hill. They wanted to push him off the hill because his message became offensive. The good news of Jesus became offensive to them. But nonetheless, Jesus went on his way. There were still people to be healed. There were still demons to be cast out. There were still the sick to be restored. Jesus Christ continues to do the impossible. He continues to give sight to the blind so that we can see. He continues to give hearing to the deaf so that we can hear. He continues to give life to the dead so that we can respond. He continues to preach good news to the poor so that the poor can become rich. You see, there's a great transfer going on here. Jesus, who is wealthy, Jesus, who is rich, became poor so that we, in, through his poverty, might have all the riches that we desire. Jesus endured the temptations of the evil one and overcame the temptations. Jesus proclaimed the gospel to those who would hear and to those who wouldn't. He proclaimed to the gospel to those who were near and to those who were far. And he gives to us this same message of help. He gives to us this same message of hope. And he calls us as a people to receive and to respond and to go. We have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of resources. And yet we have a message of one who is limited in no way. No way in time. No way in space. No way in resources. Can we be determined to take what we have received and to share, to take what we have received and tell, to go to home and family and friends, to work and to community, and to bring this message of good news, this message of freedom, and this message of sight. This is absolutely impossible for us, but this is well possible for him. He delights in doing the impossible, he has done the impossible in each of our lives, those of us who trust in him. If you're not yet persuaded, he can do the impossible in your life. And what's more, he can do the impossible through our lives. Lives of service, 
lives of speaking, lives of sharing, lives of testimony, and lives of witness. There is no telling what this gathering can do. The gifts, the talents, the opportunities, what you can do in his service, what you can do in his strength, what you can do with his word, the impossible is his. Leave the impossible to him. But take this message and share this message. Take this hope and share this hope. And be signposts to this Savior. Pointing people to the one. The one alone who can save. The one who alone who can restore. And the one who alone can open the eyes of the blind and release from captivity the prisoners. May God bless his word to each of our hearts. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for each one of us gathered here today, young and old alike. We thank you for those who are learning in their Sunday school classes even now. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken. And we thank you that when you speak, there is always a response. May the response be one of faith. May the response be one of love. May the response be one of obedience. Lord, overcome any prejudice. Overcome any opposition. Transform any heart that is hard. Renew any life that has grown cold. And remind us of the greatness and the goodness of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that today, as we are surrounded by so much that causes us to think that there is bad news in this world, thank you for this reminder that there is good news in the gospel for men and for women, for boys and for girls in Dundee and in Scotland and to the ends of the earth. Enable us to find our faith, find our hope, and find our trust rooted in the one who alone can save and the one who alone can sustain and the one who alone can take us to be with himself in that place which you call home. Hear us, Lord, and help us, we pray, and do us good, we ask, for the Savior's sake. Amen. We're now going to sing a song which really captures this sense of wonder. And Can It Be, written by Charles Wesley, who experienced the transforming grace of the gospel in his own life. His brother put the gospel into word in preaching, and Charles put the gospel into word in song and in hymn. So we're going to join our voices together, sing, And Can It Be?